Good morning, Wisconsin. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now here's your hosts, Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday edition, Hump Day, if you prefer. Annie Schwartz is our pretty regular guest on Wednesday, 9 o'clock hour, law enforcement hour, as we like to call it. Uh, welcome, Annie. You. Get your mic going there. We got your mic. You. There you go. Yeah, we do. It's, it's good. You got the big, like, the, the thing on it, which yes. I, I love that big it's a protection cover. for all of us. I think so. <laughs> Sandy Max here, of course. Um, uh, we've got some break, sort of breaking news, kind of a big announcement, but. Um, we're going to get to some serious st- stuff. There's a, a epidemic of violence against teens and young people in this country. So we're going to dig deep on that one. But um, a lot of people know you. I mean, if you're new to the show or new to Annie, she is probably one of the definitive experts on the Jeffrey Dahmer case, having covered it as a reporter, written a book with a, what do they call it, the ad- ad- uh, amended edition? Right, yeah. We did That's a, not the right word. What's updated. the right word? Updated. Yeah, it was an updated edition. Yeah. The uh, fi- a final chapter, the first book ended in 92 when he walks out the door of the courtroom and goes to prison. And then I was contacted for a 30-year update, went back and did a where are they now with all the principles from the case, and then also did... Uh, uh, you know, did a did a little bit more about what happened to Dahmer in prison. So, and I've joked on the show before when you've been on. Um, it never fails. I'm watching late night TV, and I'll flip, and there'll be a Dahmer show, and then your you, your face will will pop up because you've done so many of those programs. Yeah, it freaks Mark out too. And I always <laughs> say, what was I wearing? Because if I know what I was wearing, then I know how many pounds ago it was. So that's always uh, that's always entertaining. But interesting, interesting. more to come. Yes. Yeah, so big announcement: Fox Network, Fox Nation, Fox Nation, Fox Nation is uh, allowing us to make this announcement here uh, for the very first time. Uh, Fox Nation is going to be dropping uh, my son Jeffrey the Dahmer family tapes. Uh, that is coming up, uh, I believe they're going to do it the 25th, although there's some urgency to perhaps do it on the 18th. 25th of this of month? Of September. Okay. Mm-hmm. What makes this special different than all the others? You know what, Sandy? The, uh, people say that, and they say, oh my gosh, really, more Dahmer? But I, I think this this might be the most fascinating Dahmer piece I've I've ever done, and that is because... These are tapes that Lionel Dahmer made of his jailhouse conversations with his son, Jeffrey. Nobody ever knew these existed. Uh, people knew, I, I think people assumed, you know, maybe that he had done a few things uh, as far as, uh, you know, n- noting his conversations with his son because he wrote a book about the case, right? Called, uh, I think it was My Son, uh, Father's Story. Uh, but this is, uh, apparently he had made these tapes. Then when his son was killed in prison, and this is hours and hours of tapes that Lionel made of his conversations with, with, with Jeffrey Dahmer. So we're going to get the real voices. Oh, yeah. Because uh, yeah. yeah, a lot is, of these shows, they have like, like oh, no, this, fake voices. This is no reenactment. This wow. is none of that. And when you, when you listen to him, when you listen to Dahmer, mm-hmm. you get that, that really kind of flat, you know, unaffected voice. That, that he is, uh, that he was so known for when people were trying to portray him in movies. But Lionel wanted to do these conversations. And I think, you know, it, it, everyone can have their own reason for why they think Lionel did this. Um, I think there's in some ways, because a lot of the, the times during the tapes, Lionel will ask, um, Jeffrey Dahmer, he'll say, um, you know, was there something I missed? 
Was mm. there something I missed when you were little? Is there something I should have seen? Like when we were when we were going, you know, when we took the when you brought the roadkill home and and we looked at the animals, is there something I missed about the way that you felt about that? And it, I think in a lot of ways it's Lionel trying to figure out why he, you know, how his son became the way he did. I think Lionel Dahmer's whole life since since his son Jeffrey Dahmer became a uh, an international, uh, you know, an internationally known name has been to figure out what was his responsibility in raising a serial killer. Well, beyond that, what should we think about Lionel Dahmer? Because, you know, recording these conversations I, I, with your son, I get you're, you're writing a book, and he did write a book, and I don't know how it did or, you know, what happened with it. But it seems like you're invading the personal space of your son, who you should care about, regardless of the crimes, right? It's still your right. father's son. Mm-hmm. So what should we think about Lionel Dahmer? What did we miss? You know, Lionel Dahmer, uh, I, I don't think is going to be getting any Father of the Year awards, okay? But I, I think that when we're looking, it, it's so easy to look back at these cases. It's so easy to look back, whether it's Jeffrey Dahmer or the Gilgo Beach Killer or any of these things and say, hi, you should have seen that. Because in hindsight, we all see those things, Right. But when it comes to when it comes to Dahmer, I think that uh, Lionel Dahmer was always on the search for what was going on there. And what was kind of, you know, what was so ironic is they have a conversation together. And, and the, the, my part in this is that I listen to all the tapes and then provide commentary on it uh, with uh, with some other people who were involved in the case as well. And there's a conversation between the two of them. Where, um, you know, Lionel Dahmer, uh, asks him, he says, you know, what do you, what did you feel about, um, you know, uh, uh, what was the happiest feeling that you can remember? And then Dahmer answers him. Uh, and then he says, you know, what was your lowest moment as a kid? Lionel Dahmer was a very, very, is strict Christian the word I'm looking for? I want to say it in a way that's not pejorative so people get upset well, I mean, with authoritative, me. authoritative, uh, you know, Absolutely. that sort of a, of a father figure. His biggest fear when he was talking to his son was that when he talked to him about what kinds of things he was keeping in his room at his grandmother's house was that he was keeping a box full of porn, pornography. Little did we know what he was keeping in that box, and we, of course, find that out during the conversation. And I don't know how Lionel gets through that conversation. The two of them are very nonplussed. But I think what makes this interesting is you hear their actual voices. And it's a stilted, weird conversation, but I also imagine that this is exactly how they talked anyway. There are a couple times in the tapes when Jeffrey Dahmer says to his father, yeah, that's something we can talk about, you know, when we're not recording this, hmm. which which to me gave me sort of this little, you know, this little uh, clue that that Jeffrey Dahmer did want to have an honest to God conversation with his dad. But I don't know that either one of them was really capable of that or trusted each other or trust. Yeah, exactly. Sandy, that's the that's the that's the point. As you're preparing for this new TV special and listening I mean, what were these listening sessions like for you? How many hours at a time do you digest this? And then how do you feel afterwards? It is so strange to hear Jeffrey Dahmer speak from the grave because we have seen him portrayed. The most recent was, of course, in Ryan Murphy's Netflix piece, right? 
Um, but I have, uh, I have heard him do interviews, but I've never heard Jeffrey Dahmer really have a conversation. He did have a conversation with his lawyer, with Wendy Patrickus, when he was first arrested. And that was the subject of another documentary, a different documentary. But this is him having conversations with arguably the person who's closest to him in his life. And, and you would, you would think that maybe there'd be a little different intonation or it would be different. But hearing him speak from the grave was was very, very eerie. Annie Schwartz, our guest, as she is most Wednesdays, 9 o'clock hour. I want to take a break. I want to, I want to ask you one more thing about the Dahmer uh, Fox Nation special coming up. When was it? Late September? Uh, it's coming out either next week, Monday. It's dropping the September 18th or the 25th. They're still trying to figure out which show week they want to drop it. And it'll be dropped on the Fox Nation streaming service. So you can watch it anytime you want. You don't have to wait for it to appear on, you know, on, on television. And then one, uh, coming up in the next half hour, probably a uh, gun deaths among children and teens just exploding in this country. I want to get your thoughts on that. As we kind of explore the world of law enforcement from the old to the new and a crisis among young people in this country. Annie Schwartz, our guest. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ Now. This girl is on fire. Oh, can't get through the hour without having Annie's walk-up music. Annie Schwartz joining us, law enforcement communications expert. We're talking about the Fox Nation special that's coming up maybe as soon as next week on the Jeffrey Dahmer story. And, and this is sort of, as you said, a new twist on it with the actual recordings between Lionel Dahmer's father and Jeffrey Dahmer. So I'm going to ask you this. I get this a lot when we talk about this. And look, I'm not of this persuasion. A lot of people are fascinated by this story. Yes. But I get these texts, and I'm, so I'll ask you point blank. Can we just let this go? He's mm-hmm. dead. Move on. What's with the obsession? I was So I get that probably in every single interview that I ever do uh, on, the, on the book or on the case. It's let it go. I'm going to guess that that person who sent us that message is from Wisconsin because that's, that's where people feel that the most strongly is here. And they say, please stop talking about this. But let's look at, at what happens when there is something on the Jeffrey Dahmer case somewhere in broadcast media. It was the number one Netflix series. I mean, they had more viewers for that series than any other series ever in the history of Netflix. So there's an interest. And when there's uh, also, you know, there people are always looking for the why. And maybe we would stop thinking about Dahmer, but then we have other serial killers that come up, like the Gilgo Beach serial killer. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about this again because people want to know why, right? It's like, why does this happen? What's going on there? I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was watching something over the weekend about that case. It might have been on CNN, might have been on one of the other networks. And I, you know me, I'm a fan of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But one of the criticisms of law enforcement is when they tie specific detectives or people within an organization on a series of crimes, in this case, murders, that's the only eyeballs that get a, a chance to look at this information. And in that case, a new person came in, solved it like in, in less than a year. So I think that's a valid criticism. I will say the same thing about the Ted Bundy thing. That, that got passed from state to state to state. Now, we didn't have the communication system we have now where you could talk to each other, but he escaped numerous times. I mean, there was a lot of missed missed chances there to get this guy, and frankly, would have saved a lot of lives in Florida. And people forget that part of the story, that those young women mm-hmm. that he slaughtered if law enforcement had done their job. So as, the, as a fan of law enforcement, I sometimes wonder if, if maybe sitting this case or any case, murder case especially, with one set of eyes or two set of eyes and no one else looks at it, we get situations like that case 
out east where it could have been solved and it wasn't people die. You know, that, that reminds me of something that, that actually is happening in, um, in both newsrooms and in policing, and that's the idea of having beats, right? The idea in a newsroom is that you have somebody on the police beat, they cover the, the police beat, they cover the courthouse, they know everybody, they have all the sources, but does that lean, does that, does that lead to kind of a myopic view then of what you're looking at? Nobody comes in and looks at it with, with fresh eyes. Uh, you see that also in policing when, uh, you have officers that have a beat area and they say they get so used to that kind of, uh, to that atmosphere that they're not cross training anymore. They're not looking at, you know, at, they're seeing things on a daily basis and then they become, you know, used to them instead of saying, wait a minute, that's not okay. Now, I don't know that I, that I believe that because I was one of those people that had a beat. My whole career as a reporter, I covered crime and the courts. All I ever covered. Certainly, familiarity can make you better at your job. Absolutely. I'm not saying that, I'm, and I'm the last person to criticize law enforcement. They have mm-hmm. some of the toughest jobs in yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, the benefit of that is that depth of knowledge sure. and being able to identify specific relationships because of that knowledge. But this recent uh, set of murders out east, I think that's an example of that fresh set of eyes. They nailed this thing within like a, a year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that law enforcement, again, I'm not an expert, should think about when they they saddle one group of people on a case and they, no one ever else looks at it well and it seems counterintuitive you know the new person comes in and says okay you've got the task force we're switching out the task force all new members on the task force and people would say wait a minute no but joe and and ed know everything about there is to know about this case yeah well you know maybe it's time for that for that fresh look at the at the case i've seen i've seen cases like this solved Years and years at the at the Milwaukee Police Department in the same uh, the same vein. We got to take a break here. We're running a little bit late, but we'll catch up. Annie Schwartz, our guest after the break. This epidemic of of young people being killed in this country. We'll explore that and more with Annie Schwartz. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ now. Our guest in studio, Stephen Sandy, WTMJ now is Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert. So the headline is. Not surprising, but it's stunning regardless. Uh, firearms killed a record number of children in 2021. Anybody who pays attention to the news locally, nationally, this story is, you know, it, it's tied to gun violence. It's tied to improper storage of firearms in homes, access the kids have to weapons they shouldn't ever have. You know, certainly the Second Amendment arguments playing to that. I've, I've had long debates with people on, on my old show about, don't tell me how I can store my guns. I'm going to store them loaded, and you're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to put a gun lock on it. I get all that. But as I deal with any problem from a perspective of a former leader or as a radio host, all I care about is fixing things. And and I guess the problem, easily defined, is I don't want young people, teens, children, anyone really, being killed by guns for no reason. So as somebody who looks at communication in law enforcement, when you see stories like this, what are we all missing here? Are we are we actively, actively, and actually looking for solutions, or we just want to argue about these things? You know, when I watch the media coverage of of the shootings that involve children, I think the most recent one that I can think of wasn't. Did we have a two year old very recently? I was speaking at a conference out west, but I think there was a two year old that somehow shot themselves or or was shot by a, a sibling. Um, you know. What is the when media are telling those stories, I I think it's important for us to tell the whole story. 
Here's what happened. Yeah, the two-year-old, there was an unsecured weapon in the house, and the two-year-old, you know, shot himself. Let's, let's go more. Let's tell more. Let's, let's talk about that story because, again, you, you, you can't blame guns. The guns aren't shooting anybody. People have them. Children, you know, find them in an unsecured location, and they, uh, and, and, and their curiosity gets the best of them. I don't, uh, I don't know what to say about the fact that kids, uh, are, are, are curious and the fact that you have a loaded gun in your home that's not secured and you say, look, it doesn't keep me safe to have a load, uh, to have a handgun that's, that's secured in my house because I need to be able to, to, to grab that and defend my family if something happens. So you can still secure a weapon and still have that instant ability to react. Absolutely. Because nobody's, Coming into your home and being on top of you in like five seconds. But maybe we talk about that. Maybe that's a part of the news stories then. That the next time we're doing that story, we say, okay, here's what happened here. Let's talk a little bit about what, uh, about what was going on. And we've got a, we've got a two year old who's raised around a culture of firearms. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what should we, what, what can we do? What should we do? What kind of conversations should be happening? Um, I, Sandy, you and I were talking about um, Project Ujima at, at Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. which is is con- uh, their concern. And they have been around as long as I can remember when I started in policing here in 1987. They've been around a long time talking about gun violence in children. And, and how, to, have, how to reduce it. Yeah. yeah, it's a project between Children's Wisconsin and the Medical College of Wisconsin. And when we were talking about these U.S. statistics, my immediately went, well, how do we compare here in Wisconsin? And according to Project Ujima... In 2018, 55 gun-related injuries to children, and in 2022, that increased to 137. And so far in 2023, 82 gun-related injuries to children reported so far. And the number of children killed by gunfire in the U.S. increased 50% between 2019 and 2021. Here's another number. I mean, that's startling on its own. 80% of gun deaths, males 19 or younger in this country. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Those are all young people who have lives, families, create things, create businesses. Black male children more likely to die from homicide. White males, 19 and younger in that group, likely to kill themselves with guns. I understand we're not going to solve the problem, but I get so upset with the folks who simply, just by the way they approach this, like, eh, it's, it's an inner city problem. It's not my problem. It's not in my family till it is. Mm-hmm. That we accept status quo and we allow kids to be killed of gun deaths, 19 or younger. That's ridiculous in a civilized country, which I think we are. And Annie, to your point of going deeper in reporting and hopefully enlightening people, for example, if the whole goal to have a gun in your home is to protect your family, then having the safety on and having that gun not available to little hands that can reach high or just play with this, you know, that's counterproductive if you're not putting the safety on, if you're not locking it away and getting it when you feel there is an actual threat to your family in your home. Mm-hmm. You think about it, we, we pay more attention to those uh, counter locks, you know, from kids trying to get underneath the sink. Oh, yeah. God forbid they should get the T-Fell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or the uh, the Comets or whatever, mm-hmm. the Ajax. It's like we're worried more about that than the actual guns, which can kill people. And in, a, in this country, 80 percent, 19 or younger, are young people being killed by guns. And I'm also not a fan of legislating this. I don't know that this is something and I don't want to get out of my lane here, but I don't know that legislation is the way to is is the way to go here. 
um, I, I, you know, the, a lot of people who speak m- much more eloquently than I do about the issue of children and gun violence talk about, you know, legislation involving guns. And I'm just, you know, I'm I, now, look, first of all, I'm nobody's mother. Okay, it's important for me to mention I'm nobody's mom. So, uh, you know, my my view is of uh, of a childless person. But, man, I I just I take a look at the um, at the when we're talking about what are we what about school based school based mental health care to school based trauma care? What are we do we have to put more of a burden on our schools than they already have in order to teach children about these kinds of, of issues. And I don't know the answer to that. I throw that out there as a topic for discussion and not as something that I recommend. But I got to tell you, I mean, I you know, we do we not have to have these conversations in, in our schools and do we not have to have them earlier than we ever thought we had to have them, you know, before? That's a great point because maybe it's not just about having you know, mass shooting training, you know, and, and you know, sounding... Yeah, run, hide, fight. Yeah, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's recognizing the danger of a gun in a household, coming upon it as a kindergartner or a one-year-old, you know, as simple as putting an X through the picture of a gun and saying, that's not something you should pick up. That simple mental image might prevent a child from either harming themselves or another one of their siblings or a friend unnecessarily. I mean, it's so... Communication is a big part of this, and maybe the, the training part is something that we're missing. Maybe it's not just about the mass shooting stuff, which gets all the attention. Mm-hmm. She's Andy Schwartz, Sandy, Steve, WTMG. Now we'll continue the conversation. If you have a question or comments, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. Back after this. Andy Schwartz, our guest in the studio, Sandy and Steve, WTMJ Now. Uh, and and I, I think we all realize this problem of gun violence is complex and you know whether you're talking about red flag laws legislation more responsible gun ownership second amendment education education communication in many ways we're, we're failing miserably even though we're trying i think some people are trying to improve one's chances of not being killed by a gun in school or at the place of worship that you attend or in a supermarket i mean it, my biggest frustration, I'm, we're going to pivot in a second here, but my biggest frustration is we we just literally accept these things. And and they have a process, right? I, I went through one of these. So you have the, the shock and outrage. Then the response part comes. You grieve together as a community. You figure out what your response is. You try to work together. You have these big conversations, these panels, these you know network programs, local TV done done all of that stuff. Walked you know went around the country talking about mass shootings from a leadership perspective. Policy manuals are put together by the Department of Justice and other agencies to say here's what le- local leadership should be doing in these. Bottom line is, when somebody asked me this question ten plus years ago, I didn't think the problem would be worse, but it is, and I can't wrap my head around that because you would think typically with any problem. And this is for Sandy or, or Annie. You think with with awareness of something, recognition of a problem that we have put smart minds together and figured it out. We're we're going in the opposite direction. That's my frustration. Mm-hmm. Or is it uh, we we know community activists? We've we some of them are our teammates, and it seems like there are people who are individuals trying to do a lot, and trying to get people to work together to try and change that would be more effective. But right now we have some passionate people trying to do a lot. 
You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some props here to uh, to what I'm seeing at the Milwaukee Police Department lately because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing them getting out there more. I'm seeing them have more uh, community engagement. I'm seeing them do things like the camera networks. I think we talked about that on on one of our past shows where we talked about the fact that you can hook your camera network, your ring camera, whatever it is, into you know, into the uh, into the network that the police are monitoring. Right, right. So, you know, I, I think more tools that that law enforcement can give us to say you don't have to sit there and 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 feel like this is all something that's just happening to you. There are some ways that you can that you can take control. Community involvement. Community involvement. You, you were at an event Saturday in Kenosha. Yeah, Tell us about I, it. this was a this was kind of an a uh, I, I was. I love going to events outside of the places that I usually go. So I'm in Kenosha, and the Kenosha Police Department has launched, uh, Saturday was their launch of their community engagement team. And I thought this was, this was a great event. So they have this giant car show down there. But in addition to the, to the car show, they also have all their vehicles down there. You've seen this at a lot of different community events where the police bring out their cars. But, the, the Kenosha Police Department is really, you know, they have, listen, it's not a secret that they have suffered since the Jacob Blake case. And they are doing everything that they can to try to get out there and say, you know what, we want to talk to the community. Talk to us. Don't just, you know, don't just say, uh, you know, ah, they're not going to, nothing's going to ever change. Everything's always going to be the same. Uh, they now have a drone program. Uh, they're doing their first training on on officers with drones, which helped them. Uh, find uh, missing children, which help them in SWAT situations, uh, in closed space, um, uh, close quarters combat. Um, you know, I, to me, I'm watching police departments all over our state and all over the country, really, just from the, the conversations I'm having, who are saying, we got to get closer to people, not farther away. We got to get closer. And I, I, I really, I was a great, it was a, a great thing to see on Saturday, to see all of the kids and all of the parents that brought them up and said, meet this nice officer, tell them what you do. And then they showed them the drone or they gave them, you know, some some little, you know, gave them them teddy bears and things. And I'm just I'm picturing, you know, I'm picturing the people who are the, the usual suspects, right, who are listening. And they say, oh, yeah, that's it. It's a teddy bear. Right. That'll do it. But, you know, it, I think that law enforcement is really struggling and trying to figure out how to get closer to their communities. And trust and relationships take time to build. Mm -hmm. It it isn't whoever's cynical and going, yes, it's a teddy bear. That isn't Mm -hmm. going to change the world overnight. But that trust and that relationship and seeing that person going, ah, okay, they are here to protect and serve, Mm -hmm. not just apprehend. Mm -hmm. There's there's been a... uh kind of a a comeback of sorts. We know that post-George Floyd, the relationship between police and community suffered. And there was, you know, mass protests, riots, you know, all kinds of things happened. Bad things happened. And uh, calls for defunding the police. Well, thankfully, those calls were mostly ignored. Not everywhere. And then the places that actually did some of that are actually reversing the course now and Mm -hmm. realizing maybe law enforcement's important. They sure are. which, Which I would have told them a long time ago if they would just ask me. But is this, these types of programs, that is a response to that falling out. I would argue that it's a, it's a, it's the right response. If we're perceived, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of law, if we're perceived as not listening, if we're perceived as not doing the right thing, I think going out in the community in whatever fashion that is, and I've seen a lot of great things done locally here in Milwaukee and in other places where you're interacting with, 
people of color, in their neighborhoods, in their own environments, in, in mass gatherings, and you do it safely and, you're, and you make it an educational tool, a relationship tool, I think that's a great example of how George Floyd could actually work to the benefit of policing. Is that, is that, is that going too far, do you think? I don't think it's going too far. I mean, the George Floyd case is a tragedy all the way around. And what I think it did is it made us have it forced some conversations in law enforcement to say, how can we do things a little bit differently? Unfortunately, what happened in a whole lot of communities is they went way overboard, right? They just went, they, they went way overboard when it came to, uh, when it came to policing. They said, okay, no more police responding to domestic violence calls. We'll send social workers. All right. So somewhere between the thing where you don't send police anymore and the thing where, you know, the police, you know, repel down the side of your house and come in through the picture window, there is, the right way to do policing. Right, right. And George Floyd, I think what, what, what George Floyd did was it said, let's think broader about policing. Let's think broader about what we do in our communities. I, uh, I have seen a lot of departments try to, try to come out of very challenging times post George Floyd and say, what are we going to do? And I got to give a shout out to Chief Pat Patton down at Kenosha, who is saying, you know what? We've got to do things differently here. And we are doing things differently here. This community engagement team that is out there that looks like the community that's out there talking with young people. We're not, you know, I, I don't know how much building relationship building we're doing anymore between kids and the police. I know that, you know, MPS couldn't get the police out of there fast enough. Well, now they're back. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's try. It took legislation to make that happen. Of course it did. Mm -hmm. Of course it did. Because, you know, it was like, no, we don't want stormtroopers at the school. And it's like, wow, that's a, you know, pretty narrow view of what having police in school means. Yeah, the other part that, that doesn't get mentioned enough is, and, you know, I've heard that they're not us, you know, when, they, when you refer to the police as, as some separate thing. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, in many cities around this, around this country, they, they look like the population they serve. That didn't used to be the case. That is a, a policy and a practice that law enforcement did on its own. Some of it by necessity because they need police officers, but they changed the demographic makeup of their departments. And that doesn't even seem to have a, a positive effect yet. Now, maybe it will in the future. They were going in that direction when George Floyd happened. Then post George Floyd, one of the, one of the fallouts from that case is that we have seen people say, be a police officer, not my career choice. I'm not doing that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I don't want, you know, to be judged in that way every single day when I'm just doing the thing I was trained to do. And now all of a sudden people on the radio, the TV or the newspaper are talking about what I did. Uh, also, it's just not seen as a it's not seen as a, a a career path by enough enough young people. And I think that's another one of the positives of seeing police get into the community and talk to kids. It's to meeting somebody like Chief like Chief Pat Patton in Kenosha and saying, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. That's a, what he told me about being a police officer. I like that. It's amazing because when you meet these people, and I've had many of them in studio from, for, from Salute to Service to all the other things that we've had them in for, it's, it's once you talk to the person, whether it's a chief or a, a sergeant or detective or just a, you know, somebody, a plainclothes officer, whatever it is, they, they tell stories about the relationships. It's one of the primary focuses of Salute to Service, giving the name, rank, department, a face, a public face, telling their stories in depth. That's one of the fascinations I have. And, and I think taking that model 
of knowing these people that, that are actually protecting and serving in your community is so important. So shout out to those folks in Kenosha. That, that is a job well done. Absolutely. And I'm, I, and I'm who is the chief? very happy. Uh, Pat Patton. Pat chief Patton. Pat Patton is doing a Patrick Patton is doing a great job down there. He's uh, still pretty new. I think he's been there a little, I think he's been there a little over a year. I mean, pretty impressive three, to do that in a year. Yeah. They had three police chiefs inside of a very short amount of time. I think since, uh, since Jacob Blake, they've had three different police chiefs. He's the third. But he's really he's making a difference down there, and I am I'm optimistic about what's happening down there and in other police departments. We just got to figure our way. We've got to figure our way, and it's not necessarily going to look like something that comes out in one of those policing journals that says this is the new cool thing. Send social workers to you know these calls. I, I think that it comes with looking at your own community and saying, all right, here's what we need to do here. And what a morale boost for those Kenosha officers, high fiving kids, and oh just- yeah. Because policing is a difficult job, period. Mm-hmm. You never know what kind of day you're going to have. And some of those days you are really making a positive impact and a positive difference for somebody because you're helping them in some way get off the side of the road. But there I see a lot of uh, crisis. So to be able to visit with people and have them go, hey, high five, cool. What you do, tell me more. Mm-hmm. That's good. Tell me more is is what we is what we need to have happen. And and I'd like to see, you know, look, parents, if, this childless Annie Schwartz is talking to you, right? <laughs> um, but parents, when you, you, you run into the police officers when you have your kids with you, don't say behave or this officer is going to arrest you and take you to jail. Not helpful. Not helpful for, you know, for the profession. Talk, you know, have a conversation. What, what are you, what did you do today, officer? What are you doing today? Uh, and I, I'm a, I'm a, I think policing is changing. This is a sea change. This is a, a an, an enormous aircraft carrier that's got to turn around, but I'm seeing it move. Real quick before the break, and we're going to wrap it up after the break with Annie Schwartz, our guest, uh, a regular feature at nine o'clock hour on Wednesdays. Um, do you get the sense that, like Kenosha, that story you just put forward, are we seeing that in Milwaukee? Are we seeing those same steps being taken? I think we are. I think we're hearing them happen little by little. But I think we also have to tell people that there. I, I understand that Milwaukee is the you know is the is the big police department. It's the largest department in the state. But let's also go out to the communities and tell people what's happening out there. Uh, but yes, I am seeing uh, Chief Norman. Try to figure out, like, what? Do we, okay, what's the next thing we can do? I love the camera story. I thought that camera story was brilliant, and I, I can't wait to see what else. He is a very community-focused chief. I want to see what else he's he's got in store. Annie, Sandy, Steve, we'll wrap it up with Annie after this on WTMJ. I'm Sandy Max with Steve Scafidi, WTMJ. Now it is the Law Enforcement Hour every Wednesday at 9 with... Law enforcement expert Annie Schwartz. And Annie, you've got big adventures ahead. I am a girl who likes an adventure. Uh, <laughs> and a passport. And a passport. Um, I have to get my passport renewed, and I'm terrified they're going to take my passport away from me to get the new book because I won all the stamps all from cool all the stamps. countries. You'll get it back. You'll get it back. I think that's Where's the out. next adventure? Next adventure is to Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, I am leaving next week for Auckland, New Zealand, uh, going to the International Association of Women Police. Uh, it is women police from all over the world. And I'm going to be going there to present on a project that I just did in Albania where I help them build a public information operation for their prosecutors. But I also help the women police there create the very first 
Women's Police Association in the in, in the Albanian State Police. Mm. You know, we we think of of those things. We we take so many things for granted, like maternity leave, um, like getting to do light duty uh, in certain cases. And there is so much to be done when it comes to women and law enforcement around uh, around the world. And I'm so proud to be part of that effort in partnership with the U.S. Department of Justice and uh, the U.S. Department of State. You're making a difference. Very interesting. Safe travels to you. Who knew this this late in life? Uh, it's called wisdom and experience, and I'm glad uh, they value it. That's wonderful. So safe <laughs> travels. But I do want to ask you, Steve and I have been talking about it's National Read-A-Book Day. We certainly hope so. I want to ask you, an author, what was one of your favorite childhood books? Oh, it's a tie. Eloise, absolutely. Because oh. I think we can all agree I am Eloise, living at the Plaza Hotel and <laughs> sure. causing havoc. Dressing well. <laughs> Dressing well. But also there was a book that I read when I was a kid called Busy, Busy World. And I don't even know if it's still around. But what it did is you got to go through the book and it showed you all the different countries and what was happening in different countries. It, it's a kid book. You know, I think I was like, you know, five or six or something. And uh, I always loved to read. That's an only child thing, by the way, because you create that whole world for yourself through books when you're an only child and you make up, you know, weird stuff in your head. Uh, but uh, but I, I think that's what gave me my interest in foreign travel, even that little. All right, we got to leave it there. We got to get to the top of the hour news. We'll see you in a couple weeks or three weeks. I said maybe I can call in from there. It's 16, 17 hours ahead, and I think it's like next week there today. I don't <laughs> right. know. You can see the future. John Oliver, next week tomorrow. You'll or come whatever. back with an interesting <laughs> Kiwi accent. All right, start thinking of those questions. A special early edition since we're out of the out of the studio at eleven today for early Brewers game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Ask us anything. It's WTMJ now. News, opinions, Wisconsin, everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Now here's your hosts, Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi. All right, special uh, shortened edition of the show today of Early Brewers Game. Pirates Brewers coming up. Uh, coverage about eleven o'clock this morning. So we kind of moved things around, Sandy, and we're going to do a little early edition of Ask Us Anything. But you, um, I, I know you asked Annie Schwartz, our uh, guest at the 9 o'clock hour, this question. National Read-A-Book Day. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to ask me the question? If you'd like me to. Yes. You could ask me first, but go uh, ahead. You want me to ask what you? Book, what was your favorite books as a child? Hardy Boys. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a big Nancy Drew reader, so yes. all of them. I think I even have the collection, much to my mom's chagrin. Yeah, I don't have the books anymore, but I had all of them. I mean... I can't even remember. Um, Hunt for Hidden Gold was one, or something with a windmill on, a, on the cover. They all had certain titles, you know, the mystery of the fill yeah. in the blank here. They were interesting, and and I don't even remember how old I, I was when I was. Re- I, I was an avid reader when I was little, um, so I read a lot. But the Hardy, I had all the Hardy Boy books on my shelf. Cool. Yeah. What's yours? I can highly recommend that. The first book I remember getting very excited about as. A school kid was second grade, and it was Trumpet of the Swan, one of the E.B. White books, same author as Charlotte's Web. Yeah. And I remember devouring Charlotte's Web. For some reason, we had a bus delay, and me and my friends just sat and read and read and read, like the entire book of Charlotte's Web, and then giggled and kind of had a mini book club at that age and, and really enjoyed that. I it really enjoyed Nancy Drew. And then I was a huge fan, again, of all the collection of the Laura Ingalls Wilder oh, yeah. Little House on the Prairie book Those series. books still sell. They should. Yeah. They're, they're a capsule of time. But it is funny what captivates you. And I remember there was another series of books that my grandmother got me interested in. The author was Lois Lenski, but it was a Polish author. And it was a similar, like a girl following a girl in her travels. 
It's funny you mentioned the Charlotte's Web because our granddaughter, our youngest grandchild, is named Charlotte. We call her Charlie. Yeah. So whenever we go places, we try to find books with the name Charlotte in it. And there's amazingly, we're in France and Italy, there's always books. How many books there are with Charlotte? Yes. Yeah, so, and then we give them to her as a present. Now, she's not reading those books yet, but she'll have a nice little collection at some point. Oh. Yeah, and they're not, they are children's books, so... But it's just kind of a fun little thing to do. Kind of what inspires you to read. And we welcome your favorite childhood books. Old National Bank Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. In addition to Ask Us Anything. But not only is it really good to start reading early, teaches you vocabulary, but it also opens up your imagination. Also, in your older years, your adult years, uh, it's good for your brain. It just is. And My, can slow down dementia. So a- Absolutely. And then some people stop reading, which is the worst thing you could do. You can always learn something yeah. or be stimulated by somebody else's ideas. Or just entertained. I love a library. I have a library at home that's basically two big bookcases, but I like to keep the books that I read. And I always say to people when they see my office, those are books I've read those books. So, I mean, it's not like I just like you can get because yeah. when, you, when you do this <laughs> for a living, you get sent free books on occasion. Yeah. I don't just stick them on my shelf. I read the books, especially if I'm having the author on. So this next half hour, before we're joined by uh, author, conservative author and columnist Christian Snyder, um, is about questions. Ask us anything. And Bob from Waukesha has a very provocative question right out of the gate. Oh, my goodness. Provocative. And timely. Here well, we go. If you're a sports fan, it's provocative. Okay. Hi, Bob from Waukesha. Welcome. Uh, well, thank you for taking my call. <laughs> sure. I'm, just, I'm just curious, Stephen. I, I really... Given your background, and I thought you were kind of a courageous guy, but I was curious to know if your travels to Italy, which are coming up in the next few days, and I wish you safe travels, are are a means to avoid, uh, specifically avoid the drubbing that the Packers are going to take at Soldier Field on Sunday. <laughs> oh, you're, you're clever, Bob. So Bob is a Bears fan, I take Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you're excited about fields at Soldier Field. Oh, but you, uh, you know, yes, I am very much excited. All right, so let me give you my take. Uh, no, when I planned this trip, I actually didn't even think about the Packers, even though I know when they play. Um, and certainly we don't know that the, didn't know the Packers were going to play the Bears, which is a big deal. And I try to never miss the Packers Bears game at Lambeau Field. And I used to go to both Chicago and Green Bay. And I stopped that because I'm not a big fan of Bears fans, but let's set that aside because you're a good one. You're a good example of a Bears fan. <laughs> I, I expect the Packers to continue their winning streak. I think they've won the, the last seven or something like that against the Bears, and, and what is it, 25-6 and six or something over the last 31 games. It's a crazy number. I like Justin Fields, so I'm fair about my appreciation of talent. I think it remains to be seen whether he's a good-throwing quarterback. He's probably lights out, or whatever term you want to use, the, the best running quarterback in the NFL, one of one or two or three. Um, but I expect the Packers to win the game. I, I will say 28-17, Packers will win the game, and I'll find out the next morning when I'm uh, sitting by the pool at a uh, luxurious resort in Tuscany, Italy, Bob. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Let me just ask you something. Did you, uh, without getting into specifics, did you receive my response to your uh, inquiry uh, of last week or two weeks ago regarding the game? Yeah, it was a wager, if I remember correctly, right? That is correct. I, I yes, got that, and yes, I will honor that. That. that uh, okay, we're going to talk mysteriously. Just, I just speak. I, I think it was speak. ten. Was it ten bucks, Bob? Speak openly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was only ten. Yeah. Friendly wager. Yes. And okay. We see Bob often enough at different things. So we'll, skin we'll, in the game. I think you'll be paying me, but we'll see what happens. Thanks for the call, Bob. Calling from Waukesha. A very provocative question right out of the gates. 
if you're if you're a sports fan. All right, what's your question? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's get back on track here. Uh, lots of text coming in. You can call like Bob did on the phone. Love to hear your voice, your lovely voice on this Wednesday. Um, if you have a book that struck you as a child on National Read a Book Day, love to hear about that as well. I bet you the Hardy Boys things and Nancy Drew are very popular with a lot of kids. They should be. That's the gateway to the world. And I looked it up. They still sell them. You can Why still wouldn't buy, they? Like the family of the author. Nancy, Bess, and George were my BFFs as a kid. Who gets them? Like Franklin Dixon was the author of the Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys, yes. Who, who's getting that cash? The families must be living big on that stuff. Hey, quick quick story before we go to break. Nothing sure. to do with any of this. Mm-hmm. The guy that won the $2 billion lottery. Yeah. He bought a mansion in Bel Air, California for $87 million, like the first two weeks. Well, that was the ticket that was sold really in a rough neighborhood yes. of L.A., downtown L.A., right? No more rough neighborhood for that wow. individual. Eighty-seven-seven, one of the biggest mansions in California. Him and all his friends. He can is it, put him up. That's a big buy, right? Yes, gates. it is. I, I was just fascinated by that. I, I might have to think further into that story. I I, that, that is interesting. I love to have him on the show. All right, I see the phone lines <laughs> heating up. Ask us anything. Sandy and Steve, WTMJ now. little something we call Ask Us Anything. Early edition, because we have an early out for the Brewers today. Pittsburgh Pirates, Milwaukee Brewers coming up. Brewers had a nice win again last night. Trying to close it out as they march to the NL Central title. Freddie Peralta pitching today. Ooh, we got we He's got a great pitching reigning staff. pitcher of the month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good things for the Brewers. And uh, I know you're you used to work for the Brewers, and I'm excited as somebody who is on the flagship station, the Milwaukee Brewers. I want to see this team in the postseason. That's like bonus baseball, especially when you know. Let's be honest; it's been a long time since we we've done anything significant in the playoffs, but we've gotten there. So let's get back and see what see what happens. Any anything can happen when you're in the playoffs. All right. So a text question. Then I've got phone lines um, for both of us. If you could interview Donald Trump, former president, what one question would you ask him? Well, I would have to prepare for that. Um, well, I'll give you mine. <laughs> um, is it worth it? I guess all this nonsense, all this, especially you know, facing four indictments and. 100-plus charges, is it worth it? Was it worth it? I mean, at some point, there's a lot of people who both voted for Donald Trump and still love Donald Trump. Are you destroying whatever legacy you accomplished in that first term, and we'll see about the second, by doing all this stuff? You've you've made a mockery of state elections. We, We spend so much time on nonsense. And, you know, you may, which is, I guess, a, a financial reality for the former president, he may destroy his fortune because all of these legal challenges, I know he's trying to finance them through campaign contributions, which that may be a separate indictment down the road, depending on how you do it. Is it worth it financially, as far as your legacy, or probably even more importantly from the stakeholder position of a citizen of the United States? Was all this worth it? That would be my questions. For Donald Trump. That's a very solid question. Yeah. Now, the question I would come next is, would he answer that? Well, that's what I was kind of going to joke, that even even if I came up with a great question, I don't know that I would get a straight answer. But I think that's a very profound question. I, 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 I'd love to know the answer to those questions, because here's the thing I know. As you get older, and I'm not his age, but you start to think about your life and your legacy and, and your family and all those things. And when you destroy, my word... All the things you thought you accomplished, whether that as as a you know a real estate tycoon or an author, because he's written well, like ten books, um, former president. If you blow all that up with all of this, I think it's a, it's a good 
Fair question. Was it all worth it? From the phone lines, John from the north side calling. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Ask us anything. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I wanted to ask the question. Okay. When they stormed the Capitol, all right, now they're getting their time. Is there anybody that can pardon them? If Trump gets in or if anybody that's a Republican, can they pardon them guys and let them out? Well, the president could. And uh, here, here's the defining rule there. Thanks for the call, John. I uh, appreciate you listening as well, because John's a regular listener. Um, federal crimes, president can pardon. State crimes, no. So if it's a federal crime that they've been charged and convicted of, yes is the answer by the president. Governors can pardon for state crimes. So, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces there. Obviously, we've seen these these convictions just rolling, all related to January 6th. Latest was the uh, the Proud Boys kind of leader. Terrio yesterday. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... 23 years? I think 20, 22 or 23. Yeah. I mean, significant terms they're going to be serving in prison. You know, and they, and they all have asked for leniency and forgiveness, but I'm not in the mind that I'm going to give them leniency because I think that, that was a dangerous day in this country. I know people disagree with me. Um, I just think that let's, let's, let's say it happened. Let's say the president pardoned some of those people. If, if Donald Trump won, he said, he's already said he would pardon those individuals, those. Mm hmm. Participants in insurrectionists, rioters, lawbreakers, seditionists. I mean, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use. That would be a dangerous day for this country as well. Because those people did something that I don't think any of us ever expected to see in our nation's capital. I was just there in May. Unbelievably ornate, historic building. And I walked in the very places where these protesters, these rioters were looting and, you know, busting things up. And it disgusts me. It, it makes me sick. And if you're going to, this president, former president, says he gets in office for a second term and he pardons all those people, I think we'd have just even more chaos in this country. And that, to me, is not justice served. Uh, Mike from Muskego. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, how are you guys doing? Good, good. What's your question? Good. Well, uh, I remember back when I was in grade school, we were all introduced to uh, a series of books called The Boxcar Children. I'm not familiar with that. It was about four children that were orphans that found an old abandoned uh, boxcar. They fixed it up and lived out of it. And then they told about all the stuff. Now we're losing you, Mike. Oh, we lost, we lost Mike. Boxcar Children. I think there was a band called the Boxcar Children <laughs> that I liked that? in the 80s. I'm not kidding. I wonder if they stole that name from the books. Possibly. It sounds interesting, though. Uh, we can squeeze Lewis or Luis in from Menominee Falls. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Ask us anything. Luis? You are there he is. I'm driving all the time. But uh, listen, I got a, I got a question. Uh, in the military, as an Army veteran, for a lot less of what Mr. Trump has done to this country and the American people, we would have been wiped out of our benefits, if any. Uh, in my case, it would have been the disability benefits by now. For, for, for any little thing that where I wind up in trouble with a police officer because I'm an honorable veteran, mm-hmm. I would have been wiped out of those benefits. The question is, have the people, the American people are conscious of the reality that he gets all these services as a former president, but, you know, what, have anybody thought about it? Why does he get all these secret services and all these benefits 
with what he has done as a former commander-in-chief. It's a fair question, Luis, and I, I thank you. Also a loyal listener to the show, and he's called before. Um, I don't think Americans want to see a former president of the United States, whatever he's done, hounded by people or attacked or, God forbid, something worse. So they're always going to offer Secret Service protection to former presidents. So um, I, I have a feeling, just you know, this is pure speculation, just based on what I know, that the president's life, if these convictions occur on these multiple indictments, his life's going to be dramatically different. Now, obviously, the caveat is if he wins re-election, disjointed terms, not connected, but his second term, he'd have a lot of power. But even that is, is um, suspect because there's, there's some people that say a president couldn't pardon himself. So all of these things are up for grabs. I have this funny feeling I'm going to ask our guest Rick Essenberg tomorrow, who's argued cases in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, on the legalities, the questions that were, because I have a feeling all this is going to end up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court at some point. All of these multiple questions swirling around things that have never happened in our nation's history. Because, you know, that's where the line on in courts is, you know, the precedent has been set. Yeah. These are, there has no been, there's no precedent set for what we're experiencing in the political realm right now. And, and the possibilities of even having a president get elected, but also be imprisoned. Crazy, worst case, bizarre scenario, yeah. not predicting, just saying that is a scenario that could happen. And even beyond that, which is just absolutely insane that a president could be evicted and sent to prison. How about a, how about a voting and cheering for a president who doesn't even like the country he's president of, who belittles it all the time? Now, he's not absolute in that. He says some good things, but he also complains about our institutions, which I still have a lot of respect for. I know some people don't. That's just the oddest reality. If you're going to have a cheerleader for the country, I think in my world and hopefully in yours, the president of the United States should be that cheerleader. I don't know, it just kind of makes sense to me on a baseline level. But that's me. We'll take a break. A little bit more time uh, for Ask Us Anything. We're gonna have, but then we're going to be joined by author and columnist on the conservative side of the aisle. Christian Snyder will join us talking about a lot of things, but especially this impeachment story that's swirling around the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Ask us anything. We've got a couple minutes here before we're going to break. And I'm going to be joined by author and columnist Christian Snyder, who I think he's already on the line. We'll get him to him in a moment. Uh, quick question from the 414 on our Trump conversation, former president. Uh, what happened to innocent until proven guilty? I, that's assumed for me, and, and I've said it over and over again, that if he gets off on all these charges, it'll just be a campaign that's highly publicized, highly covered, and under the umbrella of all of the swirling stories about Donald Trump, and maybe that's just what it was like in 2016, a ways away from that, so I've kind of forgotten some of that nightmare, but personal opinion. Um, yes, he is innocent until proven guilty, so hopefully that answers your question. Um, let's see quickly. How can a person be president if he's a convicted felon, but a felon can't vote? That's a great question, and that's another question for Rick Essenberg tomorrow, because I've seen it both ways. Felons can't run for office, felons can run for office, presidents can be a felon and still run for president. So as much as like strict legal interpretation is, is the mantra of a lot of conservative attorneys and ex legal experts, everything's open to interpretation. That's why we have courts. If it was simple, we wouldn't have courts. We would just know. So we'll certainly ask Rick that question in the 9 o'clock hour tomorrow. Um, let's see, how come we never hear about arrests and convictions of Antifa members? We do. That's ongoing. There's there's cases always happening. It's it's just that January 6th has this 
collective group of individuals, not spread out over the country. But yeah, the, the people have been charged all over the place. Looting, arson, still sitting in jail cells across this country. It, maybe it's not as publicized as the uh, January 6th convictions, but it's, it's out there if you look. All right, got to take a break. After the break, author, columnist, Christian Steiner will join us. We'll ask him about his favorite childhood book. Definitely. Because he's a reader. I have to say, as a, as a writer himself, oh, yeah. I'll be curious. Yeah. So start thinking about that, Christian Snyder. What's your favorite <laughs> book as a child? It's probably something really, like, way above the, the, the pay grade of a child. I bet, it's, I bet it's not the Hardy Boys. I don't know. But we'll find, find out. out. Exactly. After this. All right. I always love our con. We haven't talked in a long time. Author, columnist, writer extraordinaire, Christian Snyder, also lover of music, and... Currently doing a great project on the history of SNL, and I think they're in year five. Christian Snyder joining us on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. Good morning, Christian Snyder. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we get to the uh, the serious stuff, and, and we'll, we'll do both serious and, and fun, uh, a book, you it's National Read-A-Book Day, a book that you remember from your childhood. You, you had to have been an avid reader. Uh, I, I've read plenty. I wasn't a big book reader. My, my parents basically told me just read anything, no matter what it is. So I spent a lot of time reading, uh, like Sports Illustrated and things <laughs> yeah. like that. Hey, that's great encouragement. Yeah. Read something that you're interested in means you will keep reading. Exactly. I mean, it, regardless of how, you know, low content it was, they said, we don't care what you read, just read. But in terms of like childhood books, I always poured over the far side, uh, cartoon books. <laughs> I love the far side more than anything to the, to, to the extent that I actually got my kids a far side uh, calendar. And just yesterday, there's one that came up. That's hilarious. It's two pilots flying a, 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 an airplane. And it's one of them says the fuel lights on Frank, we're all going to die. Oh, wait, wait, my mistake. That's just the intercom light. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is the Medvale school of the gifted where it's showing the, Kid in the striped shirt pushing on the door that says pull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I picture you as a Mad Magazine guy, Christian. Am I right on that? Yeah, I definitely read yeah. some, some Mad Magazine. Back we in all the day, did, man. That was the best. All right, so I want to get to the serious stuff, and uh, we can have some fun, too, with the SNL things that you did great work on, uh, a show that I've watched from the beginning. And I, I just read a piece by Charlie Sykes on Bulwark, uh, Bulwark Morning Shots, and it's, it's all about this story that's really gaining momentum in Wisconsin. I have my thoughts on it, but I want to get your take. States Republicans, GOP in the state, considering basically cutting off, kneecapping the newly elected justice, liberal justice, to circumvent any possibility that some of these big cases that the justices in our, in our court will hear. I'm curious where you fall on this. And this, un, I think, unprecedented, I think it's happened once and, and nothing happened, in the state's history, like where do you fall on this? Well, yeah, an impeachment of a state justice has happened once, but not not for the reasons that are being threatened here. Um, you know, you, you talk about learning things as a kid, and as a kid you learn separation of powers and the three branches of government and all that. But if this were to go through, the state assembly would essentially just be in control of the state uh, Supreme Court. I mean, what if you're allowed to just impeach uh, Supreme Court justices anytime a case comes up that you don't like and take take them out of the out of the running then the Supreme Court is essentially just you know operating at the whim of, of the state assembly and so in this case you have 
you know, a gerrymandering case where Janet Prosewicz, when she was running, said, called the state maps rigged. And, um, you know, that's something that a Supreme Court justice candidate is not supposed to do. But the way we deal with those things, the way we adjudicate that is through the election. If people don't want judges that prejudge certain uh, issues, then they should not vote them into office. But she, of course, did one. She beat Dan Kelly by 11 points. And now this kind of seems like an attempt by the assembly to undo that election when a, when a gerrymandering case comes before the for the uh, state Supreme Court. We had Spear Voss on the show last week, and he, said, he essentially said, paraphrasing, we're considering it. I, I argued at the time and, and since that this would be one of the most dangerous things that the GOP in the state of Wisconsin could do. And, and you and I both know that they have not had a great track record of winning in this state. What is it, 14 of 17 lost? Um, I, I think they would seriously blow up chances to win any significant race for the near future if they went to this level of essentially a takeover by the assembly of the Supreme Court in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, this is not how things are supposed to work in the state. And, you know, they're they're kind of one of their contentions is that, well, the state Democratic Party was too involved in the election uh, just a few months ago. But, you know, a lot of the same justices at the same time, you know, just a few years ago, signed something essentially saying, you know, it doesn't matter if the state parties get involved. Um, that was back when they were winning all the <laughs> all, all the seats. And now that they they're in the minority, they've they've completely changed their tune. So, yeah, it's it's hypocrisy all around, and it would significantly change, uh, you know, our our democracy, the way things uh, are supposed to work. I mean, any any time a, a case came before the the courts, uh, the assembly could just impeach a couple justices and and get the outcome that they want. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. I mean. Uh, the state Senate would have to agree not to bring it up because there's this weird rule that once they're impeached by the assembly, just by a, a bare majority vote, then they're not able to serve. And so they would just, uh, you know, kind of be in a state of limbo. They're literally so, benched. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just weird all around. And it would just be it, it would be a disaster for governance in the state. Hey, we'll take a break. here. We'll continue the conversation after this. Joined by author and columnist Christian Snyder on WTMJ Now. Thanks for tuning in to WTMJ Now. We are joined by author and columnist Christian Snyder, also the one of the co-hosts of the great new podcast, Wasn't That Special, 50 Years of SNL, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But I, I want to ask you one more question, Christian, of, of the political nature. For so long, I've been arguing that the Trump effect reaches everywhere. Its tentacles are on everything, including this conversation about the Wisconsin Supreme Court, I think. But my frustration as a Republican is... I don't understand. I just looked at the new polling, 52%, 18% for DeSantis, 52% for Trump. It's None of this is pushing Trump aside and giving Republicans a candidate that I feel we could actually vote for, I could vote for. Where are you on that? Yeah, I mean, there was a Wall Street Journal poll over the, uh, over the weekend that showed Trump and Biden essentially tied at 46% apiece. And 48% of Republican primary voters are actually more likely to vote for Trump now because of all the, the criminal charges against him. So um, he's just gaining popularity. He's, he's effectively making the case that this is all, um, you know, an attempt to keep him from being president. And 
you know, the troops are rallying around him for, for whatever reason. I, I'm just astounded by this every day. And, you know, I didn't think at this point in 2023 and certainly not in 2024 that I'd be talking about this in this way. But this is a this is a former president who probably at this moment, again, like lots, lots of things can happen, will be the Republican nominee. And we'll be talking about him in the sense of a one man against one man race, Biden, Trump, redo. Um, it just boggles my mind that that's that's the political landscape. I don't understand the fascination with this individual. I don't understand um, why he has a stranglehold on so many people. Those are my my terms. And it, it's, it's frustrating as hell. And I talked to a lot of conservatives out there, good, decent, honest people who voted for Trump twice and said, you know what, I don't want to do it again, but here we are. Yeah, it's uh, it's the race that nobody wants to see. I think, what, 70% <laughs> right. of people don't want to yeah. don't want these two to run again, and uh, that's what we're going to end up with. And, you know, the, the hidden story here is that Biden is so bad that he is actually tied with a guy facing 91 felony counts. So That's fair. Um, yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. All right, so I mentioned only got a couple of minutes, but you you're I love this project. <laughs> Wasn't that special 50 years of SNL? Where are you at now? Season 5? Yeah, we just finished the first 5 seasons, uh which of course are the original cast. Yes. Now we're on to season 6, uh which spoiler alert is not that great, even though uh the new cast involves uh Anne Risley, who's actually a Wisconsinite. Oh. Um, but she's not going to be around for, for long. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we found a lot of surprising things. One of the, one of the things that we wanted to do is to kind of dispel myths about everybody kind of has this vague notion of the, the first five seasons and the original cast. So we wanted to go through sketch by sketch and, uh, figure out what actually really happened. And one of the surprising things that we found is the role of John Belushi on the show, which is interesting because, Rolling Stone a few years ago put John Belushi as the number one uh, SNL cast member of all time. But when you watch these shows, there's no way you could come to that conclusion because he's often missing for five, six shows at a time. You know, he's, he's dealing with his drug problems at the time. He's got a one or two great characters. He's got the, the cheeseburger, cheeseburger guy, and he's got the samurai. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he's he's probably the fourth or fifth best cast member on the original cast. <laughs> so um, to this point, who's your favorite? Um, my favorite, it's probably got to be, I mean, halfway through the second series, Bill Murray really kind of takes over the show. Yeah, I would have said Gilda um, Radner. Gilda is, yeah, Gilda's definitely there, too. She's... Uh, my feeling on Gilda is that not all the sketches she is are fantastic, but she is fantastic in every sketch that she's in. It's uh, whether it's a, whether it's a great sketch or not, she's always amazing. Wasn't that special? Fifty years of SNL. If folks want to subscribe to that podcast, where do they go? Go to wasn't that special dot com, or uh, if you're on Twitter or X or whatever it is now, you can go to fifty years of SNL. I love it. And we hope to have more frequent conversations with you. I know we've been kind of juggling our schedules, but uh, always appreciate your wisdom and your writing. Christian Snyder, author and columnist. We'll do it again in a couple weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Christian Snyder, we'll take a break. We're going to walk it up to Brewers baseball early start today. Pittsburgh Pirates, Milwaukee Brewers. Game two of the series. Quick break here. You're listening to WTMJ Now. As we've been talking about, we have an early Brewers game today, or yeah, today, uh, coming up, Pittsburgh Pirates, early start, so uh, 
They won uh, last night's. It was seven to three. Um, good show. Great show tomorrow. So just give you a look ahead, all of you folks out there, Sandy, as well. Tammy Baldwin, U.S. Senator, will join us in the eleven o'clock hour. I think she's scheduled for eleven thirty. Um, First Lady was in town. We're going to talk about that visit. Some of the uh, other things that she's got in her mind. This idea of a tech hub. Technology being the driver of Wisconsin economy, I'm all in on that, and uh, we'll ask the senator about that. Some of the other projects she's working on, mm-hmm. we'll ask her about the Wisconsin Supreme Court controversy, right? Because sure. She's an elected. She's, I'm sure she's got an opinion on it as a Democrat. <laughs> um, Rick Essenberg, who's been on the show many times, the president and CEO of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Yes, I know he's a conservative, but he's also, and this is what I like, he's also an individual who has argued cases in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So who better to ask about legal strategy questions related to the Trump trials, all of that, what's really going to happen if he knows his take on the the questions that are being asked, can a president do this? Is it free speech as a president? Are these actions going too far? All of those questions and of course the 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 pending Discussion, which I think is happening today in Madison, about the pending potential impeachment of a newly elected Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Janet Protosiewicz. My my friends at Panoramic CBD are going to come on the show and talk talk to us about their great product and some of the things you might not know. And one of those things, by the way, CBD for pets. I have a ton of friends, Sandy, who have the uh, the pet thing where they they just panic when there's storms, thunderstorms. Oh yeah, CBD can help with that. So we're going to bring those folks in. i got a ton of questions I already wrote down for them. And all the fun things we do on Thursday, including, that's what we said. That's what we said. Also, what's on tap to help yes! you make the most of Which a love. weekend that's almost already here. It that's is the almost the benefit here. of a short week. And tomorrow's my Friday. <laughs> for you, yes, it is. More than that. It's, it's the last day I'm going to be working in about 12 days. So I am going to, somebody asked about the, the trip. So Sandy's got some great co-hosts, and I'll let you kind of walk through that tomorrow or Friday. Um, just a great. Oh, good bunch of people coming in leaders thought leaders just impressive people media different organizations it's kind of a nice mix and then uh, there's even a sports guy in there which i love too yes. <laughs> and we will, we'll just let it sit at one that. of my favorites yeah he's one of mine too so that'll be a good listen a great listen and um i'm gonna i told people this yesterday i, was, I had a conversation about the trip hmm. excited beyond belief because I've, I've been to italy before but this... who's gonna pick your tomatoes when you're gone I have friends that are going to be doing that for me because there's going to be tomatoes to be picked. I, I did my final picking two days ago, but there's tons out there. So I have a few. You have just harvesters. Friends. Yes. Well done. Uh, and I brought some tomatoes into work yesterday. So I'm going to bring back some sounds from Italy. Could be from a restaurant. Could be uh, talking to some fans on their first experience in the Tuscany region. And I'll bring that back after I return, which I'm. I think I'm coming back in the 19th. So I'm going to miss the show. I mean, it becomes part of your life. You know this. You've done radio and TV forever. It becomes part of your life. But vacations are fun, and this is a listener trip. And uh, we got another one coming up next year in starting in Munich and Germany. We go to Amsterdam. It's just all over the place. So I'm looking forward to talking about that as well. So Brewers today. Exciting show tomorrow. Last thoughts on National Read a Book Day. Read a book. Pick one up. Pick one up. If it's Even- been a little while, pick up an old favorite or... Where do you Borrow stand one on, from a friend. Quickly, where do you stand on adults reading children's books? I'm all in on that. Reread them. Brings you back good memories. Sparks you into reading more. It's all good. All right. Brewers Baseball's next.